Welcome to today's edition of the College Experts Talk podcast, the resource for parents and students navigating the college planning process. Felicia Gopal, founder of collegefundingresource.com and creator of the College Decision Navigator System, talks with world-class college planning experts who openly and honestly share the triumphs and challenges families face every day in helping their children get into and pay for the colleges of their choice. We want you to feel like you're sitting down with our experts and getting their best ideas without paying their considerable consulting fees. So sit back and relax as Felicia interviews others about the issues and concerns of selecting colleges, competing for a coveted place in a class, and ultimately paying for the colleges that admit your kids. This is Felicia Gopal of College Funding Resource, and with me today I have Dr. Sharon McNichol. She's a professor, and she's been a professor for a number of years, and she'll give you a little bit of background on herself, but she's going to give a different perspective than we've been following before. She's going to talk about what students need to do once they're in college to stay in college, because there's two things that keep students from finishing college. One is the money, and I talk about that a lot on some of the other tapes. The other thing is just the academic. So, good morning, Dr. McNichol. Good morning, Ms. Gopal. Good morning. Good. So, could you just kind of take a couple of minutes and tell us a little bit about your background? Well, I did my studies in psychology. I was always involved with students at various levels, first as a student many years ago. I have a doctorate in clinical and school psychology and a couple masters in different types of psychology. And was a professor for about 10 years at St. John's University in New York and then later a professor at Howard University in Washington, D.C. And in both cases, I worked with students at various levels, primarily graduate students, though, but I also had to deal with undergraduate students who had challenges in getting through the system at various points. They will tap into the resources of the psychology professor in the psychology unit. So that's basically my experience. I'm also originally from the Caribbean, but live here, I'm a citizen of this country, and understand the, the struggles pertaining to education from an international perspective, but certainly see the strengths in the American system in particular. Thank you very much. You know, when I look at the state of education in America, a lot of people come to the United States to get an education. But the thing that you keep hearing about in the media is that we're falling behind. So I just would like you to take a couple minutes and share your view of the state of education here in the United States. If you were to define education along the three R's, as we call it in the Caribbean, reading, writing, and spelling, there's no question that America is behind. Because on an international level, countries like Japan, like certain European countries and so on, they emphasize that a lot, and they are ahead, and they spend a lot of their working time in the day focusing on those kinds of skills, which really used to be the defining moment of a person's education is those kinds of academic areas. But America has defined its education along a different vein. It has been along the holistic kind of multiple intelligences concept that Gardner spoke about. It's about the talented person in sports, in the arts, and so forth. And if you were to include all of that, 
America is still ahead. So it depends on how you're defining it. I happen to believe that education should be more broadly defined because we do have different abilities. You know, when I think back of the genius of one of my brothers who was just brilliant in the scientific kind of areas, those kind of engineering areas, but not as good when it came to those specific skills such as the linguistic areas relative to his other skill in the engineering areas, he would have been left behind in a society in the region where the emphasis is so focused just on those linguistic areas. And so for me, it is just really great that we there is a part of the world that understands the genius in all of us, the different abilities in all of us, because I'm not good in certain things at all in those scientific areas, but yet I was considered a very bright student in my culture because of my linguistic strength. And so we have to recognize how we define it. And so from that end, I still say America is ahead, but since America is a world leader, it should be ahead in every area. It, it, this is my view, and I agree with Bill Gates and his wife, Melinda, when they express concern around the state of education. I agree with the, all of the leading educators who have been commenting on it because of that reason. America is the world leader, and they should be ahead in all areas of education and development. And from that end, we need to focus a little bit more on getting students through school with a certain basic competency, such as the ability to articulate their position properly, grammatically correct, that sort of thing that is still not evident in the education system. So when you look at the students that you were working with at the colleges that you've worked with in the past, is it fair to say, based on what you just shared, that they were behind as far as linguistics, or did you feel like they were adequately prepared for college? No, they weren't adequately prepared for college because college requires a lot of independence, a lot of, of ability to not require supervision. It's vastly different from high school. And I did not think that students were ready. It seems as if they were coming to school because their parents told them. It's different in the rest of the world. When you finish high school, first of all, completion of high school is a big deal in the rest of the world. And so by the time you finish high school, you are very mature in the world in that most people don't go on to universities. You need like 2% of a population in the region, in the Caribbean, for instance, that go on to university. And that's because, first of all, there aren't enough universities. Most times it's just one university in the whole country. And because of that, high school is a greater level of maturity. You come out in those parts of the world because you're taking on jobs at government levels and so on after completing high school, whereas here, College is supposed to be a natural progression after high school, but it seems as if students don't quite understand the value of college here in terms of what's supposed to happen. I think they go because their parents tell them to go. So they're not really prepared in terms of the contribution they can make. I don't think American children understand their contribution in terms of changing their society as much as other parts in the world, and it's probably because they just take for granted the amount of free education, the amount of opportunities. I mean, every state has many universities. So if you don't get in one, you get in another. It's not like that in the rest of the world. For the most part, you don't get in. That's it. That's the end of you. So you will be greatly disciplined in a different way because, you know, if you want to go to university, you have one chance to get in. So the American oh, yeah. students, to their disadvantage, because of the amount of opportunities, I think they are not always as prepared.
So what you've noticed kind of in other parts of the world versus the United States is because their system is kind of geared towards a very small population going to college versus in the United States it's kind of an expectation that the majority of the people are going to go to college. I think the statistics say that 37% of the population goes to college. So if 37% of the population goes to college, be it two-year, four-year, there's a different expectation about getting into college, what you've got to do to be prepared for college. And I also heard you say that, you know, if you don't get into one college, you can always go to another versus other countries. They really are dependent. If you don't get into this one college, then you're into the work field. That's it. You're into the work field or you're unemployed. In other words, your life is a different life. And while many students choose not to go anyway, those that go are very high-functioning students. I'm talking they could compete on any world stage. They could compete with American students because they have already been mature enough in their mind that they go into university. We call it university one time as opposed to college. In most parts of the world, they say university. So what happens is that they are prepared for college life mentally. They know that they're coming out to make a contribution with their degrees because a degree is a bachelor's degree is a big thing. A master's, well, that's like really huge when you get a master's. It's less than 0.000% of people go on and get a master's, you know, 0.1 or whatever. And so we have to understand the different understanding of a student, same 18-year-old person entering college in different parts of the world as opposed to here. They know they're coming out with, they're supposed to come out with a degree to transform their society because the numbers are so little who get it in the first place relative to those who do not. And so it's a different psychology when you enter in those places than here. Here it's like you come out, okay, you get your degree, and that was because you were supposed to. It's like a continuation almost in some people's mind of high school, but it's not because in high school there is all kinds of supportive social systems and educational support systems, and, of course, the parental guidance is more involved at that level, whereas in college it's not. And the shock of American students to adjust, I found that to be greater here in America than in different developing countries where those students are much more mature who decide to go the 2%, they are much more mature. Well, I think I could completely agree because I think back to my college days and I was always a very high-functioning student, but I didn't realize it until I was in college that, you know, part of how I functioned well is because I had the support system in high school that I didn't have in college. My teachers didn't care whether or not I turned in my papers. My teachers didn't care whether or not I went to class. My teachers didn't care about any of those things, and they certainly didn't care, you know, that I passed or failed their classes, their tests, their expectations. So what have been your expectations for the students that you've worked with and you've seen in college in terms of what they've got to do to be prepared to enter college in the U.S. and succeed? Well, I always started off with students, letting them know that they're all A students. The students, my approach was a little different even from the usual professors you meet. All my students started off their classes with an A. That's how I would start the class. And I will tell them that if you end up with a B or C, is you took yourself there. I didn't give you that grade. And that is because I really always assess the potential of students. So I start off letting them know, the fact that you are here in this classroom, you are a student, let's see how you will keep your A. 
And I also had approach where it was group kind of work so that they had to work as teams because I felt that students lacked the ability to work in teams. When they came out of University of College, they were struggling and they were so independent and individualistic as opposed to communal and supportive and the work environment. Generally, a team type of approach to make the business succeed requires the support of everyone. So my classroom reflected real-life experience, really. And so my expectations was always very high. Even the students who considered themselves slow were able to rise to the standard of what we expected. Now, the other approach to most people is that they just grade on a curve and it's very competitive as opposed to supportive. I disagree with the way education is defined, not just here but in the world, in terms of classroom teaching. I disagree, but there are many people, proponents of advancing education in this country that agree that a more communal and supportive approach and less competitive in the classroom will get to the potential of students better. You see an, a wonderful social relations building, too, and it's great. I love it. Well, I can see the value of it because, I mean, most people – are not going to be in a position once they graduate from college where they're working completely by themselves. You always have to work as part of a team. Even if you are really working by yourself, you usually are going to have to enroll clients into hiring you. You're going to have to enroll vendors into taking you on, working with vendors. So, I mean, even if you are a sole proprietor, you still have people who are part of your team who help you be successful. So I think it makes a lot of sense to basically have have your education be communal and working in group. And that's definitely one of the things that I noticed when my husband went to business school. They put those guys in groups, and it was very interesting seeing students who are used to being successful by themselves being forced to work with other people who are equally successful, and you really start to see different dynamics kind of show up. Did you see that when you were putting people in groups? Yes, very much so. You saw those who were shy, you saw those who lacked confidence, and then you saw the real confident one. But the key was that the group had to understand that they want the entire team to end up with an A, so that everyone helped the others who were weak or who were strong or whatever. They helped each other to get up to the level. And I didn't just judge on the success of the knowing the skill base. I looked at overall social ability, maybe because I was in psychology and I think that was important. I suppose other disciplines, they may not have the need to do that necessarily. But I certainly wanted to see people get their social skills up, meaning that at least they can be assertive if necessary, not excessively chatty or anything, but assertive and make their position clear and that sort of thing. It was the best way of teaching as far as I could tell because Boy, did those students help each other, and they would laugh as they're presenting. And you saw such a camaraderie among them and a support. And many of them told me they maintained it throughout their college years afterwards because they just simply felt it was a good idea. They created that support that lasted. So I think really is something that we could consider if people understand the importance of one helping the other. You know, it takes two to clap or something, two hands or what have you. Well, let me ask you kind of the other side of it. So you saw things that were successful. Did you see that there were common mistakes that kept students from being successful in the classroom? I found that students in general, I suppose that's developmental, but it was too much socialization to the extreme I found. I found they associated college life with 
after class, you must go and drink and you must go and hang out and that sort of thing. And I just saw it differently, not just here in the United States, eh? everywhere, actually. This, it seems to be a, a so I imagine it's developmental. But I think that a lot more things could have been done beyond the outside classroom drinking, socialization, that could have really still developed people socially, other kinds of activities. So I don't really know where those messages came, that you must be a student involved in the drinking part and hanging and smoking to the excess, to the extreme. I saw that as an impediment that students need. The other thing is that I found the common mistakes that they made from an academic point is that they didn't understand the concept of studying ahead in the event things come up that set you back. So that students will either waiting till the last minute and cramming, as we would say, just studying at the last minute, trying to get everything in, as opposed to keeping up with the work or studying ahead. I remember my first week in graduate school in the doctoral program, my professor could not believe when I had, he saw me in the library studying ahead. And he said, what are you doing? And I said, oh, I'm just going through the second week of work and so on. Because I always knew that in the event an emergency happened and I couldn't keep up it towards, at least I would have been ahead. I don't think they understood that sort of thing. And they just would wait. and Then things would come up and they couldn't get the work done. They had to take in complete. It was just really not proper planning. If you want to talk about common mistakes, they just didn't plan. They didn't anticipate. They just moved either behind or at the exact moment that they're supposed to be. And, well, you can't fault people if they're at the exact moment. Eh? But I think we need more planning ahead in university, in college. The students need to be taught that, to plan and organize their schedule and their time for the whole semester from the time the semester begins. And if they could understand that, they will be able to anticipate challenges that will come their way and be able to overcome them as they happen much more easily. Those are the two well, common mistakes. Well, the other piece to that was in the planning, you tend to have all of your midterms around the same time and your finals all the same time. Right. Um, and so if you're able to kind of get ahead in one class versus the other, there's always a class or two that are your easy classes. And those are the classes that I would imagine that it would be really easy for you to get ahead and stay ahead and then devote the extra time, if you will, to the classes that you need to spend more time with. I'm very much like you. I'm much more geared towards linguistics than engineering. And so for anything that was kind of math-based, engineering-based, I needed to spend more time in those classes than my psychology classes or my legal studies classes or any of those other sorts of things because I found that stuff very easy. So I could definitely see how that would really kind of play out in the success of a student because it would make a difference in terms of them not having to cram for all of your classes at the same time. Mm -hmm. And I could tell you what surprised me with a lot of students that I came across in my time is that they didn't understand how to negotiate the system that was difficult for them. For instance, when I realized that I was going to fail stats, I mean, I just knew if I didn't pass statistics, I would not get my doctorate, but that's not one of my strengths. And I said I was just hoping for the lowest grade that would get me through at a passing level. And so I went to the professor and I negotiated extra work 
because I knew already that I was going to be a D student, which is the failing point, as opposed to even the C student that you barely pass. And I negotiated extra work, plenty more work. Because I told him, I said, I didn't come in, in this discipline to be a statistician. I came to be a psychologist. That was it. And so I don't think it's fair for me to be prevented from being a good psychologist because I can't pass stats. So what do I do to pass it at this point? And he gave me a lot of extra work. And funny enough, it helped me to understand that I didn't even just pass at a C. I ended up passing at a B because he really felt I had deserved that. But I did do more work than other students. So you have to anticipate my, your weak areas. What are your weak areas? You know, students don't seem to understand that. They just go along. And they didn't assess themselves to know my strength is this and my weakness is this. And this is why I don't venture into some of those weak areas. So if I'm going into those weak areas to provide consultation now at this level in my life, I hire a consultant to assist me if where necessary. Because I'm fully aware of my strengths and where I'm strong, I go powerfully, independently into it. And where I'm weak, I seek guidance, even at this level in my life. So people need to do internal dialogues and internal assessment of their strengths and weaknesses and negotiate that at the college level and even at the workplace level. That is what surprised me. Students did not. And so they went into areas not knowing that they were weak in it or pretending they didn't. I don't know, they end up failing it, having to get these low grades and lower their GPA when they could have negotiated differently and asked for extra work, but that again requires the planning. So that really was a surprise to me to see students not knowing that. So what I keep hearing about being successful in college is it's, it's not about just showing up, but it's really about preparing yourself so that you're able to anticipate where you are, what you need to do to be successful in this class, and what do you need to do to get out of this class with the grades that you need in order to move you along. That's so we, right. I keep hearing the word preparation and preparation and preparation. It and seems planning. Like that, and ahead. planning. Those things seem to be very, very important in this whole thing. And anticipating problems. Like if you want to talk about what kind of, you know, even advice I can give to students in a general sense, you have to anticipate your role beyond the classroom. For instance, many students who are first-time college students in their families, like my husband, he was the first in not just his family, in his whole community that ever saw high school, much less college. They had a different role that they had to play home even though they were in college. And in the region, as opposed to here in the United States, students go away to college. In the Caribbean and in developing countries, students stay at home and travel to college because it's one university, everything is small. But they have responsibilities at home because they're the only one in their family that went to college or even went to high school as the case may be. And in that case, when problems come up in the family, they are the voice of the family or the voice of the community. That's another thing that African-American students had. Many of them were first-time college students. They were looked upon by their family for financial guidance and support even. I remember my husband had to leave university because he was the only one that could have actually go and work and make money to help support the family. So he had to actually leave university after the first year and go and work and help the family and then go back. Mm. And it really makes, you know, my poor still raised just thinking about that because in this country that will hardly happen because the average person, even the poorest of black families, 
It's a, such a phenomenal thing in this education system that creates a support to families in, in a different way than the rest of the world does. If you, if you can't afford to go, you just don't go. Here you do get financial aid. In some parts of the world, yes, education may be free at the university level, but even then, how do they eat? How do they support themselves? They don't have night jobs in parts of the world where I'm from in the Caribbean. There's no such thing as working in the night. You very rarely hear a college student having a chance to work because college is in the day. Everything is in the day. There aren't weekend jobs except when Kentucky came in and those kinds of fast foods. You might be able to get something like that, but very rarely do you get students who could work. That is very different from the it's way that it is here. very different from America. America, you could work and go to school, literally work and go to school. I found that to be so easy for, for my husband and myself when we came here that we were able to work and go to school right throughout, you know, our school. And if it's one day even, I know I worked the first time in my bachelor's was one day a week, but that gave me my allowance for the week. Even though it was you didn't have much allowance, but you were able to take care of yourself and feed yourself. You cannot do that in those parts of the world. If your parents cannot feed you and so on, and my husband, he just had no way of feeding himself, and he had to leave university. And these are the kinds of things that, you know, when you talk about giving students advice, they have to anticipate the challenges they face, not just at the college level, their weaknesses and strengths, but in their personal life, in their social life, what are the strengths or the weaknesses or social life that could pull you out of college or drag you into a different kind of challenge that you wouldn't normally expect when you leave and start college. It's a different type of thing. And in America, I think that they don't anticipate. So when something comes up, it's always taken by surprise. And then people are forced out where they could have actually negotiated staying and doing well. So students have to plan. If we could summarize it, they have to plan. They have to know their strengths. They have to know their weaknesses. They have to go to the professors before and navigate and negotiate their way into succeeding at that level. They have to be able to know their rights. Many of them, let's talk about what surprised me, students didn't understand that they do have the right to finish school even if they have lots of challenges. And that's why this country is so great because they have managed to put in place support systems for students, advisory support, all kinds of support in the universities. Students don't use it. When problems come up, they just decide to leave. They're supposed to use those resources that are there before they don't understand that the university life is such that the university looks badly for every student they lose, especially when you lose a minority student in this country. So you don't want to lose a student. So when people come to you with problems, the faculty and different people ought to be more responsive from them to try in every which way to keep students in, included given additional aid. So we need for them to be informed what the various support educational programs are that can give them additional money. They are not aware of it. And when I'm advising students, I give them all the ammunition for them to be able to stay in school and do well. Here are the different financial aid that you need. Here is the psychological support when you need counseling, the different kind of academic support when you need extra help in your studies. They need to benefit from all that is there. They don't know what is there, it seems. I don't understand how they could enter freshman year and not be informed because there's a freshman orientation. 
so I don't know what is going on. But do well, you know, I have I to jump in there because I remember, I think one of the things that is true about the freshman orientation is they give you all the resources that are out there. They give it to you in a couple hours and stuff like that. And it's a little bit overwhelming. And oftentimes having a faculty advisor or those sorts of things, somebody who can kind of help you and talk to you through. So when you're struggling with something, somebody who can kind of bring up something that you were introduced to, you know, three semesters ago, sometimes you forget that sort of stuff. So I completely agree that there are lots of resources on campus that students do not take advantage of, like students don't necessarily take advantage of office hours, you know, making sure that going back to your example, if you were struggling in a particular class, a lot of students wouldn't take the time and the initiative to go back to their professor and say, I'm struggling in this class, can you give me more work so that I can be successful in your class? I don't think that it crosses too many students' mind to do that, but that certainly would be one of the ways that they could end up with a better grade if the professor is amenable to that. The other thing I think is important to realize is, especially in the large lecture classes, you often have people assistant that you can talk to who maybe is a little bit more accessible, at least in the student's mind, than the professor, because they're often much younger than the professors, or you can ask the questions that you have. So take advantage of all the resources that the colleges have in order to make sure that you have not just the knowledge to be successful in college, but you have the support that you need in college. That's right. And parents themselves, before students start college, I mean, parents need to be aware, as well as students, truly what are the differences in their children. I remember my parents understood that. My sister could not function in a public school. And even though they didn't have the means financially to pay for her to go to a private school as, at the elementary and, and high school level, they had to find it because she could not function. She was too frail. She was too whatever. She couldn't blend in into the rough life, as we call it, of the public school. So they had to make that sacrifice to get her through. One of my brothers, he had to have gone to a very good school, but it was a smaller school, smaller in numbers, and many of those students were international students too. Strangely enough, that school used to get students from Switzerland and these places. And he had a totally different experience than those of us who went to the regular kind of high school's home. So parents have to understand, if you sit down and you think, look, my child can better function in a small university, don't encourage that child to go to a four-year big university where he or she gets drowned in the system. Encourage that child to go to a small community college or even if it's a community college outside of the state that the child lives in, just that there will be a greater sense of knowing each other and so on. You have to weigh all of that when you're thinking what is best for your child. Know your child then, if you want to put it that way. Know the strengths of your children. I know my parents had to give some of us extra time in terms of our studies, and some didn't need it. It's a question of knowing the strengths of your child. It's the same thing when going off to university. Know where your child will fit best and sit and advise the child. Don't just send them off because they got in into this university with a bigger name. A bigger name doesn't necessarily mean the child could navigate his or her way through that. So, you see, the import is an intimate kind of decision that has to be made, but a decision that has to match and fit the child's personality strength and how do you get that child to be better in the areas. So when I'm advising students, 
in terms of high school students if who come to me, what should they do? You know, I look at all those things. I match where they are in their life with where they're telling me they want to go and say, look, you may do better in this college. But this college has a more personal kind of way with people who need that like yourself. And you try to guide them along that way. But sometimes people feel they want to go to colleges with names. And then they never get through. Right. My sisters did not get through. And largely because she was not suited for the environment that she initially found herself. And what do parents know always? You know, they're just happy their child going off to school. But these are the extra things and the challenges we face in raising people, young people today. We have to go the extra mile in figuring out what is suited for one versus what is suited for the other. And see the differences in your children. I tell parents, it's nothing wrong. It's like some children prefer, some were born lighter skin, some were born brown eyes as opposed to black eyes. There is the same thing with your character and your personality. So figure out the differences in your children and immediately use the extra whatever to booster those that don't have what is necessary to get them through the world and allow the others who have it to go ahead. And if they feel that you're showing favoritism, explain that it is not. It's a question of one person needing more help because they lack it. You wouldn't say if somebody is taller than another one who is shorter that you're going to force the person to get taller. Those are things you can't interfere with. But you could interfere with how you give your children certain strengths to negotiate themselves. And when they go off course, they will remember how you tapped into those kinds of strengths. So preparing for college is not so simple as American families think it is. You know, just send their children off. It's a lot more temptations are greater. I remember one person came offering selling me cocaine and so on, and I was a 19-year-old student, and I didn't know what cocaine was. When he said coke, I thought he was talking about Coca-Cola, and I said, well, <laughs> you're selling it too expensive, $5 when it's 50 cents in the cafeteria. <laughs> I didn't know. And these are things you get trapped because you don't know. So you have to inform your children to develop, and, you know, it's not an easy thing. Well, I talk all the time about parents and students being in a partnership, and part of the parents' role in the partnership is to make sure that their kids are exposed to different things so that when they're in situations in college, they're not taken advantage of or they don't get into something that their parents would prefer that they not get involved in. And I think it's important to have those conversations and understand your kids so that they know. You know, I talk to my girls, even as young as they are, four and seven, about how important it is not to smoke. And I've been emphasizing that since they've been very, very little because I think it's important that you train a child in the ways that you want them to grow up so that if somebody came to my children and said, hey, you want to take a hit off of the cigarette, then my kids would be, no, thank you. You know, my mom has talked to me since I was very little about what it does to you to smoke. So, no, that is not something that I want to participate in. And I think there's a lot of things that happen in college that it's important that the parents have conversations with their kids about, not just right before their college, but kind of through their entire life in order to prepare them for all the temptations. Because college is really the first time where you get to make all the decisions and mom and dad are not 
sitting there saying, no, you shouldn't do that, no, you shouldn't do that, no, you shouldn't do that. There's nobody there who's saying, do your homework tonight, you've got a test tomorrow, you've got to study for it. Nobody's doing that for you. And so it's important for you to have built your children so that they can make the decisions. And I think that to take really your point further, it's really important for the preparation to start at home and probably start in high school. You know, I sit down with my children and they have homework. And I remember when I was growing up, my mother sat across the table for me, you know, kind of banged me over the head. But I've been taking a different approach with my kids. And I was just like, you're responsible for your homework. So you need to sit down and you need to do it. I will help you if you need help. But you are really kind of responsible for it. So what I like to see her do is as soon as she gets home, she takes out her book. She starts working on her homework. After she's completed it, she gives it to me. I look it over, see if she's on track, not on track. I don't always correct all of her mistakes. I sometimes let stuff go just because she needs to know that sometimes I want her to kind of understand what she got wrong and why she got it wrong. So it's about all of those sorts of things. And if you work as a parent to develop your partnership with your kids where you're helping them learn to be successful in life, because I think these are life skills that you've been talking about, then it translates and helps them when they're in college. Kids who know how to study in high school will know how to study in college. Kids who don't know how to study in high school will take that same sort of skill set into college and be completely unprepared for the results because there is nobody making sure you turn in your homework. And that is so true because I remember in high school when I used to get up early to study. My friends in high school used to say, well, what do you get up and study? And you in high school, they couldn't get over that I was getting up to study 5 o'clock or whatever in the morning because there were things to be done. You're developing a sense of discipline from in high school. And my two little brothers, I trained them that exact way. And the first time the little one got up to study, he studied only five minutes and went back. And the bigger brother said, Oh, my God, five minutes, what could he have studied? But I said, leave him, let him continue, and the next time was 10 minutes, the next time was 15, and then eventually by the time I was leaving to go away to study myself into college, he was getting up for half an hour, to an hour, that sort of thing. The discipline is what you need. They need to know. Obama said his mother used to wake him up at 4 o'clock. The best time sometimes to study is early morning where there are no interruptions. So children need to be taught in high school. Even in elementary school, I mean, you don't need to wake them up. <laughs> Obama mother, four o'clock, was as a young boy. Yes. This was excellent. She taught him discipline. This is what college is all about, discipline. It's not how bright you are anymore in college that you can't get through just a natural ability alone, I know. It's about how disciplined you are in getting your assignments done on time. And that is the difference. And many students who flunk out who were bright students, you can't believe how did they not make it. They did not have the discipline about school. Yeah, you know? I can completely agree with that. So, Dr. McNichol, it's been great talking with you. Do you have any final thoughts that you'd like to kind of leave us with? Well, I think if I understand this project, which is about helping students navigate their way in college, I think it's an excellent project and deserving of some international attention, actually, around how to help such students and so on, because we need it. I hope that you and your team continue doing the kind of work that you all are doing. Students need this. They really do. 
So congratulations. My final thought is that you take it to the level where it could benefit more people who can use this as a guide, these techniques that we're discussing and so on, as a guide to get through. So that's really it. I don't have anything more to add personally. All right. Well, Dr. McDinkle, I thank you very much for taking the time today to educate parents and students about what they need to do to be successful in school. And thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to today's edition of the College Experts Talk podcast. We hope you will join us again for our next podcast where we will continue to legally share college insider information with parents and students from the insiders themselves. For more information and to instantly download your free copy of the College Funding Resources Report titled Five Strategies That Parents Need to Start Using Today to Cut Their College Costs Tomorrow, visit www.collegefundingresource.com. That's www.collegefundingresource.com. This is Mike Elmore for the College Experts Talk Podcast.